All right, so Alex and Dave have been working their way through Ephesians uh, uh, to, to talk about how we can apply these things to our life as all scripture. And he asked me to speak this morning because he felt it relevant that I could talk to you about being a Christian in the workplace. And the reason he thought that is being relevant is because I own a plastics recycling and custom compounding company. And I want to lay that foundation out for you guys so you can realize I'm speaking from experience and things that have happened in my life. Um, we just recently celebrated 17 years in business back in May. Uh, I have over 50 employees at my company. We run 24-7. I process nearly 5 million pounds a month of plastic. And it's a lot of work. And the reason that I, I bring that up is because what that does is it puts me in the forefront every day that I go to work where... I'm confronted with doing the right thing and saying the right thing and these moral and ethical issues uh, come into my life on a daily basis and I need to learn how to handle those things uh, as a Christian. And in general, being a Christian is not easy, whether it's in the workplace or in your social life. There's some pressure that's put on us for that. But being a Christian in the workplace is even more difficult, I think. And then if I take it to the next level, being a Christian business owner, uh, I think is even the most difficult of the three. On a regular basis, um, things come up that I have to deal with. And um, I've got employees uh, that tend to be not truthful all the time. Um, I have stingy and demanding financial institutions that, that need my attention as we talk to the banks, as we're discussing loans and lines of credit and things of that nature. I have vendors that need persuading. I have customers that need convincing. And uh, when you're in that situation, it's not always easy to do the right thing. Um, I have a spiritual mindset and I have a business mindset and unfortunately they don't always see eye to eye. And the one part that I think I'm most disturbed about uh, as far as being a business owner, um, it, it's a sad statement, but um, the business world has definitely lowered my opinion of, of employees in general. Um, it's, uh, I've seen it firsthand how people go after easy money. They want something now. They don't want to work for it. They will lie and cheat and do all kinds of things to gain an advantage um, rather than earn it the way they're supposed to. And uh, speaking from experience, my company's been sued uh, multiple times, three or four times. Um, and this isn't me just saying like, and I mentioned this in the first service, that you know, people that go to jail, they're never guilty. Um, you know, but we have not been at fault in any of our uh, lawsuits. We've actually settled out of court every time because our lawyers would tell us by the time that we drag this out and you have to pay all of these legal fees, it's going to cost you less to just settle and be done with it. And all these things were frivolous, but in order to save money and move on so we could conduct business, those things had to happen. And so because of that, I, I would not be truthful if I told you that my compassion for people um, hasn't greatly diminished over the years. Nothing I'm proud of, it's, it's just a fact. Um, I tend to be less trusting uh, of people at work, quicker to condemn them. And uh, I tend to expect the bad in people when they come to work for me or with us. Uh, and I'm surprised when I actually have somebody with a strong moral compass or strong ethics uh, that we come in contact with in the business world. And the one thing that uh, I want to make really clear, uh, you know, Alex has made mention many times in his sermons, when, when we're up here teaching and preaching, it's not about look at me because, you know, I'm the role model and example because I am not the perfect role model for Christianity in the workplace. I am far from that. There's no question about that. I am a work in progress, as I think uh, all of us are. I think we've all made mistakes. Uh, not only in our, our social lives, but our business lives, things we wish we could take back. And I think we've uh, all been on the dark side once or twice in certain decisions that, uh, that we need to make. 
And what I hope this morning that I can do is um, to help uh, open up and show you what God's Word word teaches us uh, about being a Christian in the workplace, whether you're an employer or an employee. And I hope that we can come away uh, from this sermon with with a new path, a new direction, uh, a new understanding, and a a heart that's closer to God's. Now, uh, at my business, uh, I've seen God at work uh, multiple times. Throughout the course of the 17 years, I've, uh, I've held many prayer groups uh, where I saw positive changes in people's lives, and, and they come and go uh, as far as who attends and who doesn't. I haven't done one in a while, but when I did, they made some very positive uh, influences uh, at work. Um, God has allowed me to build some very strong relationships at work as well, and I've been told by many people in the business world that you don't want to get too close to your employees. It's not healthy to, to, to have that. You need a distance between that, and uh, I, I tend to disagree with that. There's some people that I gravitate to, and uh, I have a close relationship with, uh, so much so that I actually performed a, a wedding ceremony a few years back for one of my employees, and I was just approached a couple weeks ago. Uh, to do another one, and it may happen before the end of the year. So I think it's important uh, as a Christian to be involved and in a part of of their lives. And I see God at work when I do those things. And one of the things that uh, is difficult sometimes to understand or comprehend is that if you do the right things for God and you're you're following the right Christian principles, that everything should go well uh, at work for you. And and that's not always the case. Um, You know, the road can be difficult Um, You don't always get what you want when you want it, following uh, Christian principles, but I do believe that God will uh, provide for you uh, and bless you if you follow his teachings. And um, some of the references I have from from work that I can share with you that that, that really shows God uh, has been present in in my place of business. Now, the one thing I also have to mention is that I have two partners, so I'm only 33 and a third of my business. So there's times where I can stand firm on an issue where I think it's morally or ethically correct, but my other partners say, we're going to do this. As far as uh, our business goes, it's, it's the majority rule, so sometimes it's difficult to have that happen. But I have seen God at work multiple times. Uh, there have been times when uh, we couldn't make payroll. We were in need of, uh, it could have been you know, twenty dollars or $30,000 to make part of our payroll, and uh, we're stressed, and where's it going to come from? Um, those are times that uh, I'm, I'm heavy in prayer with God on that because I don't know how else it's going to happen. And it's probably early on when we were in business. Thank God that's not an issue so much anymore. Um, but literally day of, we get a wire transfer or we get the right check in the mail so that we can cover payroll and, and make those things happen. We've had companies uh, dismiss completely a deposit for a piece of capital equipment uh, that we needed to make uh, the processing of, of our plastics. We even had one go so far, a salesman uh, came to us and he wanted to sell us a piece of equipment. We didn't have the money for the down payment. This salesman actually paid his own company the deposit for our piece of equipment. And then we paid him back, but we were able to get that piece of equipment for our processing. Um, that's not coincidence. That's, that's God at work. And I've seen uh, strong people show up to come work for us out of nowhere. Didn't even have an ad in the paper. All of a sudden, some guy shows up, and he becomes one of our production managers in short order. Um, and then I take a look at what God has provided for myself and my family uh, through my business, and I'm humbled uh, by what he's done. And then... Uh, we look at those who are in the, uh, in the working situation, which is probably most of us here, and uh, we have decisions that need to be made, uh, business, ethical, moral decisions, moral decisions. and uh, what's important is how you handle the situations that you're in when you make these decisions. 
Um, I'm going to share a couple things with you here that I experienced, not myself, but uh, has been shared with me through uh, friends in the business world. I had a, a friend years back that um, had a colleague that uh, he was on a business trip with, uh, a lady, and she had brought like two suitcases for like a one-night stay in a hotel for where they were going to a, uh, meet a, a, a customer. And uh, which, you know, you might think that's the normal thing for ladies to bring that much. It is when we go on vacation. My wife's suitcase is the size of uh, a Volvo. But uh, um, so she brings these two suitcases. And so the guy's like, well, why do you have these two suitcases? And she says, well, I brought all my best clothes on this business trip. He's like, well, you're not going to wear them. And she says, well, I don't plan on wearing them. I'm just going to put them in the hotel's dry cleaning so that they can dry clean them for me. I'll take them home and then I'll claim it on my expense report. What do you do with that situation, right? Um, there uh, has been multiple times, but one that I, I remember uh, pretty recently, um, one of my friends was asked to uh, help in uh, this major project uh, for the company he's working for, and uh, his team leader asked him to help out. So a diligent, hardworking guy, puts his heart and soul into it, makes this presentation, does an awesome job. His boss takes it to the, to the presentation where all the bigwigs are at, presents it, Knocks the, the socks off of these guys. Great presentation. All kinds of kudos to this guy. Not one thank you or acknowledgement for the guy that actually created the report. Well, how do you handle that in the business world as a Christian? Do you confront the person with that? Do you just sit back and take it? Um, and then for our business, it's happened many, many times. Uh, accounts receivable. One of my best friends handles, uh, he's one of my partners. He handles all the uh, uh, finances uh, for, for my company. And we've had people forget to invoice us. Six months down the road, we still haven't seen an invoice. Do you just let that go and hope they never catch it so you can you know, reap the benefits of that? Or do you give them a call and say, hey, we've got this uh, uh, check we're ready to send to you. You have an invoice. Can you please make us pay you? Uh, difficult decision, but the right one. Um, there, we've had people double pay us for services or products that were given. Um, and so do you keep both checks and cash them both and hope that they don't notice uh, that they double paid an invoice so you can take advantage of that, that extra money? None of those things are right. And again, how do you handle those situations you're in as a Christian um, when you're involved with it and you know it's happening all the time in the workplace? And one of the sayings is, and you've heard it, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So if it's accepted in the business world uh, by most people, so you just go ahead and do it. Is that the proper business practice? And the Bible tells us no, and we're going to get to that. And there are things that are going on in the workplace every day that are questionable. They're not entirely above board. But the common thinking is, since everybody knows about it and everybody's doing it at my place of work, then it must be okay if I do it. Taking sick leave when you're not sick. Asking a friend to clock in or clock out for you if you punch, uh, punch a time uh, on your time card. Uh, taking office supplies for, for personal use. And taking advantage of every HR loophole that you can find. And we've had a couple of my employees in the past that literally scour over our handbook to find every mistake where they can find, where they can take advantage of it. That is not the Christian way uh, to view work. Unfortunately, they are common in the workplace. I see it on a daily basis. And as an employee, when you're in the midst of that and everybody around you is doing that, it's so easy to fall into that fold and just become part of the norm. And again, that's not what God wants us to do. And so one of the questions that I ask myself uh, as I was preparing for this sermon and in the past as well, because I try best I can to represent God in my workplace, how can I be an effective Christian at my business? And if you're a business owner, you should be thinking that way. If you're employed, you should be thinking, how can I be a strong Christian employee uh, for, for the business that I'm working for? 
I mean, it is the place where I can make the greatest impact for Christ. I'm there 10 or 12 hours a day reaching out to people and talking to people. And where else can I spend that much time in contact where I have an opportunity to represent Christ? Uh, and the answer is there isn't. That is the most time that we have. And probably the same for you. You spend most of your time at work. Maybe not you, Christine, but, but most people, right? So... Um, that's just a little joke my wife and I have with her tedious work schedule that she has. <laughs> and if you knew, you'd laugh as well. Um, anyway, so any meaningful discussion uh, that we're going to have on being a Christian in the workplace needs to come from God's Word. It needs to come from the Bible. And what we're going to look at first is from the book of Ephesians uh, 4.28. If I could have the first slide, please. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And as small as that scripture is, it's amazing how much we can break that down and how much we can learn from it. Uh, the first thing is that this verse is actually uh, uh, one that should bring out a dramatic change uh, in our faith in Christ, and it should change the way that we view, the way we work, the way we think, and the way we act uh, in our social life and at work. And prior to that, if I can have the second slide up there, please. Uh, this is from Ephesians 4, 17 to 23. This one's pretty long, so you stick with me. we got two slides on this. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So according to verse 17, sin has messed up our values and made us desire things that are really empty. Uh, there's no meaning, there's no truthfulness to it. And those things are material possessions and power that we might gain uh, while we're at work. And then if we go to verse 23, it says, Now that we know Christ and we've learned from him, as we should from all scripture, our mind should be renewed. And that sounds real easy as I sit up here and tell you guys that it should be renewed. But how many times have you read scripture in and out? You read it, you think you comprehended it, you don't apply it to your life. But this in general for, for working purposes and all scripture, you need to internalize it so that you are changed after reading it. That's the, the reason that we read and we are in scripture. Our perspective of things needs to change uh, as, we, as we read from God's word. And then verse 25 deals with truth and lies at work. And those are big things. And uh, I know I've got some, some people in sales here. One of my best friends is here, Paulie, and, and he'll appreciate this. And I've said it before. How many salesmen do we have in here? Two, three, wow. The economy's booming with three people selling stuff in here. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so one of the, the old sayings, and maybe you guys can repeat it, how do you know when a salesman is lying? His lips are moving, right? So that's, it, it, and I, Paulie, I know that's not true about you because where I can't even see you. Where are you out there, right? I know you're truthful all the time with your customers, but that's part of being in sales, right? But the scripture tells us uh, that, that we must uh, put off all falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we're all members of one body. We shouldn't be lying and deceiving people. And then verse 26, and this is one I have trouble with. In fact, my wife and I had a little spat a few weeks ago and she'll appreciate this. 
and how we should deal with negative, fe- negative feelings towards others. How many people have left work mad at their boss or one of their fellow employees and you kept it with you going to work the next day? Right, Anna? Anna, by the way, since, since I was over here, I, I was going to leave him sitting on the edge of his seat, but I figured I might as well get out of the way now. Um, my wonderful daughter, Anna, is here from college, and she's going back uh, to UC uh, come the fall. And there's a wonderful gentleman that she met when she was down at college. And as far as a, a, a father could ask for, he's a stand-up dude. Um, I like him a lot. He's here today. His name is Benjamin. He goes by Ben. So just a round of applause for a wonderful boyfriend of my daughter, Anna. See, that wasn't bad, Ben. I could have had you come up here, but I didn't. All right, so anyways, back to, back to the anger issue that we have, okay? It says uh, in verse 26, if, you're ang- if in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, all right? Which means that you can't take that to bed with you. All right, and how many of us follow that teaching? When you're mad at somebody at work and you're mad at your boss, do you go back the next day with that same resentment and anger that you had the day before? The Bible tells us don't do that. Rectify those differences right away. And all these things that I'm talking about here will change our spirit and we become renewed when we apply these practices to our lives. Next, uh, uh, a uh, word that you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with this saying, work is a necessary evil. Right, just like they say taxes. So we've heard that, right? How many people have heard work is a necessary evil? Right, most of us, and most of us have probably said that. And here's the problem uh, with that mindset. That saying is how the world regards work. This is how the world does regard work. The world views work as a necessary evil, something that everyone has to do in order to get the things that we want and to do the things that we wanna do. We have to work. Work is undesirable, work is stressful, we hate work. But everybody wants to play, so we have to work in order to play. That's just kind of how it, how it works out. And everybody kind of feels that we deserve it. If we work, we deserve to go on vacation. We deserve that new house. We deserve that new car because we're working so hard. And work is only useful if it enables us to indulge in every little thing that we want to do. All the leisure and fun-filled activities that we can have, that's why we work. And you've heard the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins, Right? That's the wrong mindset, according to the Bible. And in that same mindset, then the perfect world would mean that we should be able to play all the time and not work at all if that's what our mindset is. If the only reason we work is to be able to play and have the things that we want, that is the worldly mindset for work. And we have to change that because today more and more people want to do less work for more pay. Any shortcut or loophole they can take to gain wealth, they're going to take it. Whatever it takes to get what they want, they're going to do. We bet, we gamble, we push Ponzi schemes, we short sell, we lie, we steal, and we do all those things just to gain that upper hand. But if you have renewed yourself in the spirit of your mind, if you change the way you think about work, it is not a necessary evil. So now I'm going to tell you how God wants us to view work. The Christian perspective of work is that work is a gift from God. Collective sigh. Really? Hard work is out there, right? We bust our backsides constantly. We sweat. We cut ourselves in some work. It's stressful. It's painful. Not desirable. And now I'm telling you that the job you have, providing it's the right job and honors God, is a gift from God, as bad as that job may seem. 
but it's true. It's exactly what it is. Work should be something uh, that's good and useful to us. It gives us an opportunity to, to learn how to be responsible and to be a man of integrity. And through work, we can develop all kinds of talents and creativity and initiative and social skills that we can use to benefit God and his kingdom as well as benefit those around us. And the cool thing here is, and this is where I can prove what I'm talking about, if you don't think that, that man was ordained to work, then, then I need to share this with you, okay? When God made man, he did not make man to play. He made man to work. Who was the first man on the planet? Wow, that was, that's like, that's, that's church 101. Let's try this again. <laughs> wow, how do you spell God? No, listen, who, who was the first man on the planet? Right, he was the first guy. God said, Adam, I'm going to make you. And what did he say in Genesis 2.15? The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. That doesn't sound like play. Adam was put there to dress and keep the Garden of Eden. Therefore, gardening was the first occupation that man was employed in, and Adam was the first gardener. He was put here to work just as we are. So having the right perspective of work will change your attitude towards work. When you realize that God has ordained you to work, and that means he made you to work, that's why you're here, the other part is that you realize that God is your real employer. So you're not just going to work hard when your boss is looking. You work hard all the time with integrity and with meaning because God is always watching. And God is the one that you want to, to gain his approval of. You want him to know that you're doing right for him in your workplace. And that's why Colossians 3, 22 to 24 says this. Slide three, please. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. That's as clear as it gets as to who you're working for. You are working for God. So my question's to you. Do you carry out your responsibilities at work the way God wants you to? Do you make every effort to be happy and to be a joyful worker when you're at work? Do you drag your feet on the converse of this and do your work grudgingly? Do you gripe about how much you're getting paid and how horrible your work conditions are? Do you take pride in doing your best for the Lord? in every task that you're assigned to, or do you just try to skate by and get to the next day? And here's the big question. When you close the deal, when you meet that production uh, uh, quota that you had to get, uh, when you nail that presentation that you, that you worked so hard on, and all that goes well for you, do you give credit to God, or is it all about you? How do you perceive that? How do you give thanks to God for all of that? You should. Most of us will take it upon ourselves that I did a great job and are happy about that. And there's nothing wrong with being prideful in your work, but remember to give credit where credit is due. And I know some of you may question the type of work you do, and I don't know what your occupations are, but what if the work that you do requires you to do things that are clearly unethical? Uh, maybe misleading people with false information uh, to make a sale or to get them to participate in something. How can you please God with such work? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Here's your answer. You can't. You cannot please God with work like that. If you were misleading somebody, if you were causing people to, to, to do things they wouldn't do if the truth were told to them, then that's something God does not want you to do, and that is not the right profession of work. 
Ephesians 4.28 begins with, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, there's different ways to steal things from people. If I said somebody stole something from me, you wouldn't think I was deceived from it. Most of the time you're thinking somebody pickpocketed me, broke into my car, broke into my house. They stole something from me. But we can steal something from people and still call it an ethical practice through our business. And that's definitely not what God wants from us. It clearly implies that if you have a job that requires you to steal in any way, you have to quit that job. It's unethical. It displeases God. Now, I know it's difficult. Unemployment was big a while back. I know it's down a lot, but people are still unemployed. They're looking for jobs. And I know it's very difficult to turn down a job when you're unemployed. But if that job requires you uh, to be in a sinful nature, to deceive people, you cannot take that job. And it's unfortunate to say that. And some people will say, well, what if it comes with like this really great benefits package and, and I have all this stuff that I can do and provide for my family? If it's not pleasing to God and it is not ethical, you cannot take that job. And then the part behind that is when you turn that job down, you have to have faith in Christ that he is going to find another job for you. And I know that's happened to probably some people in here where they thought they had an opportunity and it fell through for some reason, but then God stepped up and he provided another job. And Alex has preached on this many times. God is slow. It doesn't mean it's going to happen the next day. You may be unemployed for a year. I hope that doesn't happen, but you have to have faith that God will find that job for you. Having the right profession is a must, but even if you're in the right profession that the world would see as a, as a good and, and strong job, there are temptations in every job that we have. There are forms of stealing that a lot of people don't see as stealing, and I'm going to reference that. Now, uh, we, how many people that we had ahead in sales? Like four, right? How many people have expense accounts? A couple of you guys, right? I was in sales for about 10 years prior to starting my company. I had an expense account. Um, Expense accounts are, are mandatory. Um, you know, they're something that we need as, as, as uh, you know, working for uh, different businesses. They fund business trips. Uh, they allow you to purchase necessary tools for supplies. You can impress potential customers by taking them out to dinner or maybe a round of golf. But, myself included in this conversation, most employees have probably taken just a little bit of liberty with those expense uh, accounts. For instance, you go to a restaurant, it's on the company, company credit card or just something you can turn in, you order the most expensive thing on the menu because the company's paying for it. Would you do the same thing if it was your credit card? If it was your money, would you do that? Maybe not. You pick up an extra box of golf balls on your uh, golf outing with your customers for the next time you go out. Probably not ethical. And the one that I know is, is used a lot, many people embellish on the amount of miles that they drive for their expense account to get that government mandated 54 cents a mile. So maybe you went 100 miles, but I'll put 200 down on there and put a couple extra dollars in my pocket. And what we need to realize that an expense account is, is, uh, is a privilege. It's not a right for us to have. And if you abuse that expense account, eventually it's gonna come back to bite you. It will become publicly known and that's not a good thing for you and the company. And above all, God knows and is watching and knows whether or not you're being truthful about that expense account. Now, the irony behind this is funny. My brother-in-law, Al, who's here today, somehow, I don't even know, we were going to Cedar Point last week, and he brought up Ted Williams, just kind of out of the blue. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but Ted Williams is actually in my sermon on Sunday. So how that comes to be. Um, anybody here heard of Ted Williams? Oh, are you kidding me? We got, oh, oh yeah, Bill, two, three people? Ted Williams, one of the, there we go, four or five people. Ted Williams, one of the greatest baseball players in the history of the major leagues. Six-time batting champion. He was the 1967 Triple Crown winner. Uh, he batted three, 344 as a career. He had 521 home runs in 19 seasons. And he did all that 
uh, traveling in and out of two wars and still made all that happen. So Ted Williams played into his 40s, but when he turned 40, he had a, a really bad season. He actually pinched a nerve in his neck and couldn't even turn uh, to look at the pitcher in order to you know, hit the ball, and that was Ted Williams. He was arguably one of the best hitters in baseball. And so he had this pinched nerve. He had a declining season. First time in his year, he didn't have a better season than the season before. Uh, and at that time, check this out, he was the highest paid player in professional sports. He was making $125,000 a year. Highest paid player. So after that declining season, Ted Williams got a contract from the Boston Red Sox the same salary as he had the year before where he had that declining season. And so what did Ted Williams do? One of the coolest things I've ever heard, probably never to be seen again, Ted Williams sent the contract back to the Boston Red Sox with a note that said, I am not gonna take this contract unless you cut my salary by 25%. That is an amazing thing. Cut his salary by 25%. He took a $31,000 pay cut because he felt he didn't deserve it. How many people in today's sports would take a pay cut like that because they didn't deserve it? Right? How many of you would do that, take a pay cut on your salary because you felt you didn't deserve it? Right? Now, I do believe that Ted Williams was an atheist. I think uh, Al and I were talking about they actually had his body like frozen or something so science could try to fix him later on. But just goes to show you Christian principles aren't always just for people that are Christians. There are good people in this world, and this is something that we can learn from. If we don't deserve it, we shouldn't be uh, receiving for it. So as Christians, we shouldn't take more than, than what we're worth. And as employers, we need to make sure that we're paying our people for what they're worth. 428 again says, We must work doing something useful with our hands that we may have something to share with those in need. So that scripture is telling us that we need to work for what we get. Nothing's going to come free. If a person's being paid to work, then he should do all the work that he or she is paid to do. Therefore, godly ethics requires two things from us. First, we should not shortchange the ones that work for us, and that is directed at me. I cannot hold money from one of my employees. I can't not pay them for something they do. I can't say I'm going to pay you to do this and then ask him to do extra and not compensate them for it, all right? Uh, James 5.4 tells us that God himself hears the cries of the workers who are not paid for the work they have done, and he will deal with those who have exploited them. I don't want to have that conversation with God. I'm going to steer clear of that and do what God expects me to do for my employees. Then the other part of it says that we must not shortchange the ones we work for. And this means as employees, we should fulfill our job responsibilities, which means that we should not do, uh, make others do work that we're supposed to do. We shouldn't come to work late. We shouldn't leave work early. We shouldn't be doing personal things on work time, like booking trips or paying bills or sending emails and texts to our friends and family. That is your employee's time. Now, I would ask for a show of hands on who's done that here in the past week, and I'm pretty sure, <clears throat> sure that the church would have most of their hands up in the air. God doesn't want us to be that way or to do those things. Being fair to everyone is what is supposed to happen on both sides of that coin. And if there's a certain practice that is tolerated at your workplace, in other words, everybody says it's okay. Just because they say it's okay doesn't mean that it's right. You shouldn't fall into that. And I know it's easy to get into the flow and do as everybody else is doing, but as a Christian in the workplace, you need to take your stand and know when things are right and wrong. And if you ever need to decide whether or not to adopt a certain practice, which is happening at your office, three questions you can ask yourself. Slide four, please. Number one, will it give those who do it an unfair advantage over others? Number two, will it put those who do it in a bad light if it ever becomes known publicly? 
And number three, will God be displeased with those who do it? And if you can answer yes to any of those three questions, it's simple. You shouldn't be doing it. And it's not easy because most of the time, uh, if you do the right things, it may come with a price. It may cost you that next promotion because you didn't reach a certain level. It may cause you to have a smaller pay raise or no pay raise at all because you decided not to participate in that. But what I can tell you that you may lose something materially and worldly for what's done, but what you gain in your Christian spirituality and what you gain in the eyes of the Lord far outweighs anything that you're going to lose monetarily here on earth. And that's not where your focus should be. Your focus should be to please God. And as I mentioned early on, the world regards work as a means to get things. It's all about get, get, get. What can I get if I do this? What can I gain if I do this? And biblically speaking, that's not, that, that is absolutely wrong. If your approach to work is to get something and get something and get something, it's the wrong approach. And the Bible tells us that that's the wrong way. And I'm going to get there in a second. Because your purpose for working should be giving and not getting. That sounds crazy. But that's truthful. Your purpose for working should be to give and not get. And that's why Ephesians 4.28 tells us that they may have something to share with those in need. That's the last part of that scripture. You work so that you can have something to share with other people. And the Christian life is all about learning to love yourself less and to learn to love God more and the people around us more. Love always seeks to give. Love finds its greatest joy in giving and not getting. And the cool thing is God has given you not only the job you have, but God has given you the ability to work. And with that blessing, you need to give back because through your work, you can provide for those that you love and those around you. You can provide a home for your family. You can put food on the table. You can go on vacations and you can share that time with them, sharing in your abundance. And on top of that, you can be a blessing to your friends. If you've been so fortunate and blessed in your life to have a good job and to get paid well for what you do, you share that with your friends. You know, have them over for a cookout. Do things for them on their birthday to share with people. And also the coolest thing is there are people out there that don't have jobs. There are people out there that are physically and mentally incapable of working. And because you are physically and mentally capable to work, you can take the blessings that God has given you and give back to those people that are less fortunate. And so it's no wonder that Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We were ordained to work. God has put us here for that purpose so that we can be a blessing to others. And as disappointing as it is, I have to wrap it up right there because we are on a timetable here. And I know you guys wanted to hear me talk more and more about how to be better people at work, but that's not going to happen. We'll save that for another time if Alex is so nice to ask me to come and speak again. So we're going to wrap it up right there. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And as they do that, we're going to recap because I want you guys to take this home with you today. Number one, we have seen that godly work ethics begin with having the right mindset. Put your mind in the right place that you're serving God when you're at work because God has ordained us to work. We have seen that we can choose the right profession of work, one that doesn't make a living by compromising our morals and our ethics and our principles. And that we need to adopt the right practices that promote fairness and honesty and accountability in our workplace. And the last thing, we have seen that the right purpose for work is not to get, not to get things for ourselves, but to give things to to, to others, to give out of love and to bring blessings to the other people in our life. And it's just my prayer that that, uh, the Lord help us all to faithfully apply what I've talked to you about this morning and what the scripture tells us about work so that we can have a more fulfilling and beneficial work life. Let's pray.
Father, uh, we come before you um, this morning on this beautiful uh, sunny Sunday, and uh, we're just so happy that uh, we have the ability to make you part of our work lives. And through your word this morning, we hope that you become a bigger part of our work lives. And we know that work can be tough. Uh, it can drive us crazy at times. Um, but we just ask that, that your word and your love for us help us to shape our work habits, our attitude, the way that we take on work with a new vigor as we start this new week. Uh, we just pray that you help us to be humble, um, that, that we can learn from your teachings, um, that we can complain less and work more. And we're just motivated by the, uh, the love that you have for us and our new insight on what you want work to be for us. And we just pray that, that you lead us in our new work week, that we'll be joyful and we're creative, that I'm a, a thankful employer and, a, and, a, and a, a generous employer as anybody that's working can be a generous and thankful employee. And we just want to make sure that, that our heart is focused, that we know that you are the one that we are serving uh, when we're at work. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.